our generation literally is like having their meals through via snacks and that's led to the snickification of everything, right? You're listening to The Taste Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. Snackshot, the curatorial and highly discerning grocery newsletter and community, has grown into an industry force, read by CPG executives and food media members on a near-religious level. I am most certainly one of these readers. There's real Blackbird spy plane energy with the work that founder Andrea Hernandez creates, and I had her into the studio to talk about what is interesting in the grocery store today. We also talk about the major changes afoot in the trillion-dollar grocery industry and how she views the rapidly changing retail space. Is the grocery store dying as we know it? Andrea has many thoughts. I hope you enjoy this episode. Andrea Hernandez, welcome to Taste Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor. <laughs> it, I mean, the honor is is mine because I feel like a lot of our listeners know who you are. You're an inspiration. You're an influencer. Um, I like to compare you. You're like the Blackbird spy plane of food. You're like creating this ethic and this aura of 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 knowledge and taste making, but with voice. And you're cringing. You're you're totally cringing right now when I'm saying it to you. <laughs> no, I'm, it makes me a little teary. It's like nice to hear it from, you know, people that I don't, you know, we're literally meeting in first person. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and we were joking a little bit off mic that, you know, I know you because I know your voice and I know you from this world of, of both of Instagram and, and your newsletter. And we'll get to that and your history. But also when you meet somebody face to face, it's like, wow, you're a human being. You're not a team. You're not a bot. <laughs> Yeah. I'm not an entity trapped on an Instagram account. (laughs) It's great. I can't wait to get into the work. We're going to talk about some trends. We're going to talk about your journey here. But I want to first, like, what have you eaten today? Like, like what's been what's been fueling you today, both restaurant stuff, food stuff, but also snack stuff? Well, I wish I was, you know, having enough time to go try out restaurants. I basically made myself like um, poached eggs on top of a regula and like some bacon. Mm -hmm. That was like my breakfast. And then I had an update, which is like a new drink that uses this ingredient called paracinthin. So it has no caffeine, but it's like an energy drink. And literally that's been all I've ingested and trying to fuel my very, very busy day. (laughs) You know what? I'm I'm wondering, we're going to get to drinks. It's like a crowded category. But when you talk about these adaptogen or these like caffeine, but not caffeine drinks, do you do you like sample a lot of them? Are you like doing like the, the, the testing yourself? So I always talk about this. I think I actually tell people don't send stuff to me to taste like I'm happy to taste it for myself, but I'm not going to be posting reviews or like giving ratings. I actually am a firm believer that taste is highly subjective. What I like, it's dependent on my palate preference. So I tend to shy away from from doing that and I welcome samples. Um, But you know, I'm not here to tell people this is good, this is bad, because I, I know everybody has their own preferences. For example, I don't really like overly sweet stuff. I tend yeah. to go for more savory tart. So obviously Ruby, for example, is like one of my favorites because of that. But um, yeah, I try to stay away from saying anything about like doing tastings or whatever. I tell people go offer our community, but I like to always emphasize like 
find your taste tester fit, which is whose palate is familiar enough to your product that, you know, might be receptive, like yeah. receptive to it as opposed to, you know, they're going to give you like, oh, I hated this <laughs> brownie because it's so sweet. I was like, well, you know, I'm not a sweets person. Yeah, you know? I get it. And so you're not this you're not a site. You're not a newsletter that reviews food and you're not telling people here's the five best of this or that. So what exactly is Snackshot in your, <laughs> by your estimation? Oh God, that's such an existential question. Like two years into it, when I started it, I didn't really find a space that was able to unpack things from a lens of, wait, where is this coming from? And like calling out, not really in a cynical way, but kind of using parody as a way to make it digestible for people to understand. So like, you know, the snack boy persona was created <laughs> out of like the fuck boy meets air one market vibe. Mm-hmm. And it was like, who, why, when did it become that beverages have this like status symbol to them in the same way that fashion items have it? Or, you know, functional unwinding is what I call like our movement of adaptogenic everything. So I joke like America runs on and it's like <laughs> adaptogens to tropics. It's no Love longer the voice coffee. work too. You're just killing it with the voice work. Oh, I, I, this is literally how I write my, my issues. Like I tell people, like I think of like very much like building out a show whenever I'm doing um, issues. And so you can go back to them and literally see that there's like themes around that. There was one where I wrote the entire issue while listening to like 1930s, like old radio shows. <laughs> and it was me pretending that we were like at Snack Inc., like news and like, you know, like breaking. And I literally use that voice like breaking news, Skippy, write this down. Yeah. Seamoss uh, is the new Agave. Like literally in my mind, that's how I'm, you know, voicing these right. characters and, 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 scenes and it is very you know people tell me like how do you do so much it feels like and I'm like I have fun doing it you know I really do put myself like we do everything that's manifested online is translated offline as well so Snackshot is kind of that where it's like a sentiment of the underdog the outsider kind of like making themselves like making space to talk about things that you know we don't I don't do things I do things kind of like the opposite of what traditional stuff does so I don't do advertising we're community funded I don't do you know sponsorships paid paid features I don't do anything of like what a lot of food media traditionally does and then I also don't do like referrals like every you want to be here by all means like I don't want to grow this with a growth hack yeah because for me it's like the intention of going against the influx of noise that's Mm -hmm. why I started like talking a lot about curation, curation as a service is what Snackshot was really doing and even with our events like going against traditional uh, industry events like I hate the idea that I'll ever turn into like that event you know that where like you have conferences, to wear the yeah. snack shot conference you have, you have sponsored to be wearing, by Big Oreo yeah <laughs> you have to be wearing like that sticker and it's like you know you're like hi my name is Bob and I'm middle manager at so and so supply chain and it's like no like you know if I'm ever gonna do something like that we've done snack seances before yeah. we're doing a you know snack sommelier event today but yeah it's like it's it's really weird it's kind of like the counterculture of this yeah. well you're breaking form I, I have a lot of people in food media in my world. But I also have a lot of people in other aspects. I, I feel like I have a lot of like friends and stuff, whatever. But many people have mentioned you 
who are not in food. So there's something about Snackshot that resonates with everybody. Now, is it the food? Is it the parody? Is it the voice? Is it just you with your great graphic design? Like, is it you just taking down the the Air One fuckboys? Because I I really, it's shocking that you came up in conversation at lunch recently. And, you know, it's just this thing that I have to, like, call it out as being special. You're doing something very special. Uh, No, thank you so much. You know, that's the, the wildest part about it. And because there's people that will join our group chat and they'll be like, hi, guys, I have nothing to do with food and beverage. I literally work in the legal system. I'm just here because I love snacks. And I think snacks <laughs> are very something that's very personable and relatable. And to me, it's just fascinating how it transcends cultures and languages. So like we I literally get messages from people in Japan and Italy, in Singapore, Australia. And I'm like, how did you find this? Mm-hmm. Like, how did it come to you? Like, I don't again, I don't do any referral. I don't do anything to make it like pushing out Snackshot and somehow, and I actually wrote about this in one of the issues where I write about like the beauty of creating a universe and like how I really am pushing for that to return as opposed to just like kind of copycatting the idea of what's my gravitational pull. So I think of like the process of creation. It starts from a lot of friction that creates kind of this explosion (laughs) that it all comes down around, you know, like if you look at the spiral of a universe, there's like the little dark center that's like pulling you together. So like, what are the things? And I remember thinking about my pillars. Okay, it's content, it's curation. And then the big one that came after was community. That was something like one day I was talking to the void. And then the next day, like all these people were literally wanting to chat and interact more. And it was, I don't know. It's just like, I guess when you're some, when you're building something authentic, it's so refreshing in a time where everybody's just trying to fake or yeah, push on, you, post stunt. things, you know, where it's like all an affiliate link or shoving down things down your throat where it's like all regurgitated content and it's like literally like the baby bird barfing into like the mini baby like just like unnecessary like noise I wanted to create something that felt like an experience of like kind of the old internet days where it was well, like amazement I was gonna say that discovery I think, I think that the part of your launch and your rise has been during the pandemic, there was obviously a lot of money put into DTC brands. And you saw a variety of marketing techniques and you, you're calling them out in just the last two minutes, which is great about how it was phony. And like DTC in general, very skeptical, like anything down to like millennial pink branding to like creating fake categories to like obviously VC funding bad ideas because there's a couple bros or whatever on the board. Now, my whole point is that it seems like there's frustration in your voice and not just the voice here, but in the voice on Snackshot. And you are speaking about the little guy, but let me ask you about CPG. There's a lot of good there too. Cause like you have skepticism, but you also have fanboyism on your, on your, on your outlet. There's like, it's kind of like a push and pull, right? Yeah, I would say it's not really, again, like I mentioned earlier, it's not with a tone, like a cynical tone. Like, it's really like because I I did uh, go to school for communications marketing. That was literally my career for like my entire 20s before I turned 30 during the pandemic and Snackshot came about. Um, I really wanted to kind of highlight that there is kind of this gimmicky thing that was going on and trying to trick consumers and like, you know, uh, when did we start labeling water vegan? Like, thank you for letting me know I've not been sucking on bone broth this entire time. Like, you know, it is, it became kind of like a, a, a pe- that's why I, I try to 
bring about the parody state of, you know, and like I made that meme where it's like capitalism breeds innovation and it's literally the same looking cans. Like it's like <laughs> it's crazy. It's 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 and, and I think that that to me was one thing that I wanted to kind of just, you know, not really like, you know, call out in a way where I'm trying to say everything is evil, but instead being like, OK, can we just just talk about this? Like, is that, am I taking crazy pills? Like, what's going on here? And then on the other side, like I am a small person, my like small company myself. Like I, I know what it's like to have literally all odds stacked against you like I know what it's like for people not to give you the time of day because they don't know who you are be dismissive of you you know like I've lit and I'm like I mean just getting emotional thinking about that because when I started that was it right like nobody really gave me any time of day until like I started to get noticed by like you know bigger outlets and stuff and so for me it's all about making snapshot the platform that's an equalizing leveling the playing field and there's so many amazing stories that have come out of just like being able to get highlighted on snapshot coming to our events or being part of our events brands that are like literally from other countries that are getting their entry points into yeah. the like the desired US market that to me it's just that's that's my whole point of like when when do we actually as millennials at least me as a 33 year old millennial it really came about if i'm going to build something i really want this to be kind of my legacy to my generation even if it's the smallest part yeah. that this is something that i'm contributing to and that it's creating positive win-win structures as opposed to the outdated like i can't win if you win then yeah. i have to take and I have to be extractive. Zero yeah. yeah, zero sum. Right. So let me, you mentioned millennials and, and you've said in the past, quote, millennials are leading a sort of redemption act for snacks. So like focusing on millennials, but also going to Gen Z as well. I'd love to like find out what you mean by this redemption act because I so see it as well. Snacking is definitely not part of our diet. It's like different for a younger generation. <clears throat> yeah. Well, what I mean with that specifically is that, well, we grew up with our parents telling you like don't snack or you're ruining the meal and then <laughs> right, now right. it's like jokes on you guys like literally we're not sitting down and eating like you know three times a day you know meals at the table with the family or whatever like our generation literally is like having their meals through via snacks and that's led to the snackification mm -hmm. of everything right so I think that to me was like we were able to give snacks that redemption arc because it used to have that kind of negative connotation to yeah. it and it's very interesting because it's literally speaking of younger generations like you know now you have the latest news about like lunchables becoming the standard you know whether for who knows i don't know what was the type of food they mm. had before but um i all i can say is like that's literally you know three years in the making and kind of the changing of the guard of people who have grown literally just through snacking which millennials 90s kids like literally that mm -hmm. was that was how we grew up yeah and and now as adults we're literally kind of taking in that and you know passing it to to yeah and it's kind of like uh a, a tradition inherited versus like we kind of we kind of like made that like sitting down traditionally like an obsolete thing at yeah this it's point. definitely dated like the, the the dinner at the table unfortunately for some and fortunately for others depending on the background is it's a dated concept growing up in Honduras what were some of the snacks that like defined your 
childhood? Well, it's so funny because uh, obviously, you know, all these companies are like super globalized. So like I did grow up with um, the concept of Lunchables. It was mm-hmm. very much of a treat, like a mm-hmm. like a luxury. Uh, did you like which part of the Lunchable did you like the best? Was it this, the candy bar or was it the, the cheese and cracker? I I personally like the cheese and cracker. Again, I'm a, it's not a, like, not more a sweet side. person. I'm yeah, yeah. very much savory. But it was so funny because, like, this is something that I've talked about in Snackshot, and it's crazy to think about how many people—again, that's why I think it's more of a generational thing than, like, a, you know, cultural thing. Because I've literally talked to people in Mexico and Germany, and they've, like, told me, like, um, you know, they grew up with Lunchables as well. And it's so funny because, like, these German people that were talking to me about trading Lunchables, like, how valuable it was in the playground, they were like, yeah, we would, like— literally traded by piece like the crackers like traded for something it was so fascinating to me like because snack trading and I even made a meme of this where it's like were you normal or did you trade snacks you know as kids and I feel like that's you even have it um that was like the the kid in this like Disney show Reese's that always had like the you know opening his coat and he had all these things I love that know that example (laughs) I I would trade fruit gushers and dinosaur (laughs) fruit snacks like, getting a gusher for, like, two dinosaurs was, like, a big win for me. Yeah. I feel like, and I, I 100% agree that there was, like, the top tier snacks. Like, I feel like Dunkaroos, the Funfetti one, because the chocolate one, like, Not obviously nobody wanted trash, that. Trash, hot trash. Trash. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Funfetti is always a good choice for anything. Yeah. Funfetti, Pop-Tarts, and Dunkaroos were at the top. Gushers, fruit Ooh. roll-ups, all the Pop-tart. top. Pop-Tart. So, are you brown sugar? Are you strawberry? No. I feel like brown sugar, I'm, like, definitely Funfetti. Strawberry all the way. Strawberry. Classic. Classic. Classic strawberry. Now, do you actually toast it or do you go just like go hard with like like go OG? You know, it depends because in Honduras, it is already warm. So sometimes, <laughs> you know, eating a toaster was not an option. <laughs> I feel like I did I did a little too much brown sugar in my day and I definitely never <laughs> toasted it. But then there was like toaster strudels that came out. No, like I was never frozen. a fan from for Toaster Strudels. Nah. But, but yeah, so like I feel like it's very interesting, and that's one of the reasons why I also love unpacking this. Of like Lunchables, for example, it's a millennial brand. It actually like launched in 1989, so it's literally a millennial itself, the mm-hmm. brand. So it's yeah. like 30 plus years, and how that you know legacy still three generations later, millennial Gen Z and Alpha now. You know, it's it's crazy to think of. <laughs> I know it's so crazy. So I want to get into some category talk. I'm going to sprinkle this in um, to our conversation. Mm-hmm. I, this isn't like I don't want to like mine you for like what's the next big trend. Though I may ask you that at the end. But I want to talk about specific categories. We recently had Sandra Rocco on, the founder of Sanzo, and we talk about how like fucking crowded beverages and if you if you walk in any city or even rural parts and you look at the freezer or the, sorry the the drink section you will find like 100 SKUs in the cooler. What do you think about this, Andrea? Do you feel like the the, the, the drinks category is is a little oversaturated or, or on the flip side, is there just huge demand for for um, RTD and that, that type of category? I mean, so I will just start this off by saying the moment that we have Palo Santo brewed water as an RTD and that we have like beverages promising you like libido, like, you know, increased libido and stuff like, you know, <laughs> I, I will say that, uh, yeah, it seems like, you know, every the vivification of everything, you know, it's just getting a little bit out of hand. No, actually, it's yeah. just like way out of hand. But 
it's it's something that I've I've written about. That's the the whole idea about curation, right? Like, um, there's this I forget the name of of the author, but there was this book about like the the paradox of choice, right? Mm-hmm. And it talked about like the more choices you have, the more detrimental the experience becomes. And I think that you know um, the rise of these like curated stores is is up and coming for that very reason and i do believe that consolidation is going to happen especially in years like this one and maybe the next year that it's it's kind of like murky waters for this industry you know the vc wells dried yeah. um you know they can't rely more on like vc subsidy to just grow for growth's sake and this category obviously is super expensive yeah and it's also just like extremely saturated and difficult to break through from the retail side because the retail of the channels, those channels are being Unless saturated. Unless you have liquid death type of money, you well, know. Well, yeah, of course. But, but that's what I'm saying. Like, it, I think it, it's it's something that you're going to start seeing like a lot more of like the consolidation and, and you know, brands, you know, either selling out mm. or just, you know, saying, hey, we we came to, we, we came, we saw, we couldn't conquer, like let's, you know, close shop, move on to something Does Better else. Soda, like does Oli Pop like acquire like four brands and or does that how is that how it works with beverage? Like, I feel I, like I feel like if there was something like Olipop would probably get acquired by one of the big ones. Of I course. feel like that's the exit, especially after you raise like you know when you're crossing thirty plus million dollars in VC. I feel like exiting is what people want to. <laughs> oh, that's what the fun- so. Let me ask you about VCs. Do you look at cap tables? Do you actually look at investment valuations for these companies before you write about them? I, yeah, I mean, I do my research to see like okay, that's one of the things that I know. Like okay. This company has raised, you know, this from this amount, you know, or yeah. these. This company has like X people, you know, in their cap table. But for me, it's like, uh, like it really depends on what I'm writing about. And you know, for me, it really is very important to know where the money's coming from and yeah. where the money is being put. Right. So like to understand whether a trend has legs. So I wrote about Olipop back in 2020. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, yeah, the gut, gut. Uh, health is the new bliss <laughs> and lo and behold about three years later the, the explosion yeah. of the prebiotic soda and my thesis was you know as millennials age prebiotics and probiotic sodas have become kind of our generation's metamucil right we yeah they also, God forbid we had that right? we they kind of taste good like that's my take personally I feel like like having a cola that kind of tastes not like cola, but has like an effervescence, yeah. has a little bitterness. I think like our move towards bitter as a culture. Yeah, Sa- I, 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 100%. That's one of my, my big things right now. It's like savory drinks are 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 happening. And I think it's a big shift that I'm very excited about. But yeah. I, was, I was just going to say like Olipop was my OG snack boy starter pack. Like I do <laughs> love a good ginger, classic ginger lemon Olipop. So, yeah. So who else do you like in that category, meaning the the, the just drinks, like oh, in, in like, okay. just, like RTDs? Oh, category. no. I'm a huge, huge, obviously, you can tell by my hoodie, choice of hoodie today, <laughs> yeah. uh, Ruby. They were one, again, I am come from Latin America, so tart yeah. for me is my standard. And explain I, what Ruby is if we haven't. For those who don't know what Ruby is. If somebody is. doesn't have an Instagram account. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ruby is uh, just this like magical, beautiful beverage, sparkling beverage that's based um, on hibiscus. And it's got uh, the one that I like, which is the the red, the ruby hibiscus one. Um, 
it has no sugar. And I just love the, you know, it does feel to me like paradise birds singing, waves mm. crashing, like when I try it, because it just really does feel a lot. I, I drink a lot of agua de jamaica, we call it yeah. in, in Latin America. And it does feel like very a, a very refreshing take on a classic for me. And so Ruby is a, a, a huge fan of that. I Olipop, of course. Um, I love Bowie. I don't know if you've heard about it, B-A-W-I. It's a new company that launched last year. It's by these um, Gen Z founders based out of Austin. And uh they are agua frescas and the maracuya one. I don't really know how. Maybe it's passion fruit, mm-hmm, how you say mm-hmm. it. But oh my god, that's like one of the best things. Are these low sugar agua frescas? Yeah, too? yeah, they're yeah. yeah. I don't even think that they are like loaded with sugar. Nice. I feel like it's just the fruit with uh, water, which I love. Mm. I, I love things that are actually like, you know, I don't, I, I don't really have a sugary palate. I think in yeah. America that is a a big. It's a predominant different. here, but <laughs> yeah. I think to the point earlier, our palates are are becoming more savory and bitter. I think obviously with like the rise of drinks like the Negroni and like kombucha, thi- kombucha, like things like that, like are, are, are kind of moved towards bitter as we get older. But then, of course, we're also moving towards extreme sweet. And like American palates have always been so sweet. Look at ketchup. One of our main cooking ingredients is not like pre- prevalent in many parts of the world. It's one of the sweetest things. Yeah, and it's so funny because talking about ketchup, I saw that Sir Kensington's ketchup is being discontinued. We're working on a story. Wow. Kathy Airways writing something. So, Maybe it'll be out by the time we... But it's it. so funny because, like, you know, you can now find Heinz, like, with lower sugar and stuff. So I guess, in a way, it did its purpose, even though the yeah. the the brand is discontinued. Let's, ask, let, let's go into another category. Let's talk about bars. I feel like bars are something that everyone listening can kind of relate to because we all are like strapped for time. I like totally had a busy morning and I ate a good macro for lunch. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just saying that like it's probably not the best, but mm-hmm. that's, that's me as my truth. Mm-hmm. What do you think about bars right now? You know, again, we're like the snacking generation. So it's it's just a genius. There's savory, even savory salad snack bars. Now yeah. there's snack bars that, you know, are a meal in a in literally in bar format. So I think it's exciting. I, I, I was actually very thrilled to see the savory ones pop out because, you know, they tend to be all peanut butter this, chocolate this. Or they'll go like, they'll be like meat snacks, basically. And some of them literally camouflage themselves as like, you know, protein bars. It's really just a candy bar. Let's be real. Let's be real. No, some of those, some of those guys are are not really going to give you much (laughs) like nutrients. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Is there like a brand that you feel is exciting to you that comes to mind? Yeah, I feel like you mentioned it when you sent over the questions and I was like wait I need to tell him like have you tried dirtbag before okay no I haven't but like naming your chocolate bar dirtbag with like a real millennial branding that's probably done by a Brooklyn shop it's actually it, day job based in LA close, okay close close enough. close enough like it's probably east side LA okay like I'm being snarky in the notes and now we're bringing it to the mic I just felt like I don't really want to eat something called dirtbag it just it's a little on the nose for me mm-hmm. Andrea correct me well again taste is dependent on you right um I will say I personally really enjoyed it and as someone who doesn't do sweet stuff to me it was just the perfect balanced what of, is it it's a it's a bar it's the kind of like a, a bar that has like a cookie dough kind of taste but it's it's not overly sugar and it's like 
you know, what's a, uh, the guy, Mark Gravel is the founder and he's based in, in L.A. And he has a very Patagonia kind of mm. vibe. For, so he actually has some of them in Patagonia stores like they've picked them up and I was stuff. thinking like Dime Square mustache guy though that's, that's kind of New what, York maybe yeah. but, but since this this is based in LA like he is very much of like an outdoors he created it for like the likes of himself like that go and like go on hikes or like biking and it's we actually had it at this festival last year in the woods that was um in Idlewood, California. And they were like people were sta- they could not like I couldn't restock. I had a little bodega for that so festival. So cool. Is it like a music festival? It was a yeah, it was a music arts creative festival. And so my I my activation there was like my own little bodega. That is so cool. <laughs> yeah. And so we did have a lot of dirt bag and I would see people stashing more than one, like they would come and repeat. So I don't know. You would have to try it. I personally like it. It goes back to my the earlier statement about taste. And like, I appreciate that. But like, we're not like going to sell out a brand because, one, you know, one person doesn't like it or not. I mean, it really you're, you take a more holistic approach about this stuff. And I want to m- ask you about retail channels. And you're doing an event with Pop-Up Grocer. And it makes me think like the bodega that you curated at this music festival, what Emily Schultz is doing with Pop-Up Grocer. She's been on the show in the past and you're doing an event there this week in New York. What does Papa Grocer mean to you? Do you feel like they're, my read is that they're doing some interesting stuff and it's like an interesting channel and you're doing an event with them. So you, I would imagine you're, you agree with that, but, but what do you think about retail right now? So I actually have a whole issue on this. Like I wrote about this on SAS as the future of food and beverage. Nice. So uh, Pop-Up Grocer was obviously an example that I use. Foxshot is a much more bigger example of that. I would say to me, I really love uh, what Emily has done. I think the whole experiential grocery thing was probably something that, you know, the times of Andy Warhol, like it was something that he probably dreamed of. And in a way, it was kind of like pioneering that concept of. Um, Male Wolf is another one, the mm-hmm. activation in Vegas that I think it's so funny, kind of like that experiential grocery oh, yeah. experience. Even though, like, obviously those products are, like, not really, like, grocery stuff. But for me, like, and I, and in that, if you guys want to reference it, like, that issue really just talks about, again, I guess this is, like, what I love about Snackshot and me being kind of an outsider is I get to see things from a less myopic POV, so not just focused in the U.S. market. And so, you know, in that issue, I actually give examples from around the world that are, like, kind of, like, the pop-up grocers mm-hmm. of, you know, Mexico City, uh, in London, in Australia, in Philippines, like these are these are like an endemic thing. It's not just, you know, happening in the U.S. So explain exactly what Pop-Up is doing in terms of changing the way we buy, but also discover food IRL. Yeah, I think I when I wrote about why this is like millennial led right and i think because we are at at this point where the majority of millennials you know they're of age they're starting their own families gen z also is now like of age we're fueling this i i I like to say we're in the eternal process of discovery right now because what we're trying to do is trying to replace legacy right so like what really is going to be a replacement of of you know my ketchup my Mm -hmm olive oil by Kroger potentially (laughs) yeah you know like and and honestly like 
really like it's it's something that I feel like it's us us wanting that better future, even though we are, live in a such a broken system across. It's not just here, obviously, because food is such a consolidated thing, unfortunately, that, um, you know, some people can't afford to have that discovery of a better option or sometimes they'll default to like the private label brand, whatever. But to me, I think that uh, I like to call these like kind of temples that, you know, they have these offerings, right? They're like these small independent um, brands that, uh, you know, these are like their first jump into retail before jumping into like bigger chains. Like I like to see like evolutions of like the curated grocers, then things like Foxtrot that are more medium central markets. And then you pop into like things like Whole Foods. And zooming out a little bit, just for our our listeners knowledge, um, what we're talking about is a pop-up grocer. The model is different from say a Whole Foods or large, like a Meyer or Albertsons in that the barrier to entry is lower. You're not being charged you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars or even tens of thousands of dollars to get your product under the shelf. It's much lower at a place like Pop-Up or even Foxtrot. Now, granted, you know, this is not the way you're going to grocery shop for everything, right? But there's definitely an ethic and and directionally speaking, to me, it feels exciting. It feels like when you walk into even a Target, there's too many SKUs. There's too much waste. Do you agree with this? Because I I feel like when I interviewed Emily, and I'll link to that in the show notes, she kind of pushed back and was like, yeah, actually, we're doing something different. Andrea, I'd like to get your take about, big question, do you think the grocery store is broken? Yeah, 100%. I mean, just uh, as someone who's looked into this, uh, no, just looked into it. You've you've written. It I've written about and it. Reported yeah. on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, like the way that grocery stores are designed, it's literally they have everything planned before you enter the store of what they want you to go, and that's why they put the essentials all the way in the back. And you know, like uh, everybody wants to have that like eye level thing, and it's really um, and actually there. I even wrote about I included it in the issue about this whole movement um, consumer organizations in the U.S., you know, wanting the government to do something about what they call anti-competitiveness because the way that traditional grocers work is kind of like, it's it's not kind of, it's literally pay to play. So whoever has the most money can have the best real estate. So, you know, if we're really talking about doing what's best for consumers, but, you know, this emerging brands have, they stand no chance because the biggest brands, conglomerate brands are going to take the best, you know, real estate. And, you know, that's, to me, I do think it's a broken system. I think that if, for the the best example is, is is that right grocery stores are supposed to be where we go and find things that are nurturing that are literally the pillars of our life Mm -hmm. and i think that with curated grocers i really love that kind of like pushback of like we curate based on certain criteria so for example pop-up grocer does it you know whether it's diversity or female founder founders yeah Yeah. Uh, the good smart rachel corpa does an amazing job as well doing the same and curating based on like different criteria like the sustainability sustainability approach, et cetera. Um, you know, and I think um, that's something that's different as opposed to, you know, Foxtrot is one that's very interesting because they are kind of like bigger, right? I think they have 25 They're attempting stores. scale. I think that's like the big question here because like pop up small and like it's a very small SKU selection. It's like 1,500 SKUs or whatever. Mm-hmm. But that's actually so wrong. It's like 300 SKUs. Like how you got to talk about scale here, right? Yeah. So Foxtrot is definitely going to be kind of like 
who can scale a big, a better store that has that consumer in mind, like the modern consumer in mind. And I'm a huge fan of Oxrod. I'm really rooting for them to, to you know, grow because they really are going for let's keep whatever legacy is familiar. Like you can find Oreos and Dunkaroos yeah. at the same time that you can find like the newer emerging brands that are kind of the counterpart yeah. of it. And I really love the like, you know, we understand that that people have that indoctrination into legacy or familiarity with legacy, but at the same time lending their space as an opportunity and a jumping, you know, point for a lot of brands. And they've recently been uh, introducing brands that are not even just U.S. based are giving opportunity to brands that are based in Canada. Barbet is one of them. Yep. Uh, Mexico, Senor Mango is one of them. That's and on the shelves of Foxtrot That's on the right shelves now? of Foxtrot right now. I appreciate Foxtrot as well. I'm a fan. They're in Austin, in Chicago, Los Angeles, I believe. Definitely Virginia. Virginia, but not in New York City, and that's a real... I don't Bummer. think they're coming. Anytime. They aren't coming. I've 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 heard. I know um, Ellie Truesdale. Uh, we had her on the show, and she's an investor in Foxtrot. Yeah. It's we. I mean, you know, I've talked to them as well, and yeah. it's like retail here is just so complicated. But at the same eh. time, at the same time, I feel like their formats are just you know, it's not really right now for for something like New York. I really like the biggest one they're going to open right now is on in downtown Austin. Yeah, and I I really think that what they've built. Um, is also kind of logistics as a service for emerging brands. So let me ask you this then, zooming out. I think some of our listeners will will know what I'm talking about. When you walk into a pop-up grocery and you walk into Fox Show, you look, there's some real sticker shock. You're you're just like walking in and you're like, wow, that cookie is $8. Mm-hmm. That hummus is seven fifty. Mm-hmm. Now, that's an issue, right? When we, especially when we talk about scale and changing grocery. Yeah. So how I know this is there's no answer to this. Did Sanso talk about this? Because when he was starting, I remember like him posting about him like people on the TikToks commenting, that's so expensive for a seltzer. And I remember him coming out with a video explaining like, hey, we're a small brand. Yeah. You know, maybe he doesn't have that problem anymore now that he's like, <laughs> you know, scaled. But but I would go, I love to use that as an example, right? I feel like whenever I talk to founders, I also kind of make note of that. Sometimes also you can't really help it. Like you can find some beverages at some retailers for X amount and then you'll find it at others for like almost twice. You know, it's something that's really not that much in control of the brand because based 100%, on the- right there's definitely like mass discounting happening for some brands and certainly i've talked about this with coffee um producers a lot on the show and it, it translates to small food brands you know these are small luxuries in our lives we're talking about the best of something mm-hmm. for like eight dollars instead of three or four dollars we're not talking about thousands of dollars a difference so i think to pay for 23 dollars for a bag of coffee or even 450 for a really nice cookie mm-hmm. Versus, you know, 99 cents, granted, not for everyone, but we're talking about small luxuries in life, relatively speaking. Yeah, I feel like it. And I've talked about this snack as a signaler, snack as a new external signaler. Um, I feel like it is kind of like the new lipstick effect. And um, there there is a lot of like Brightland is a great example of. Yeah, people talk about like it's forty dollars for a brand, but this is an olive oil that, company. But they, yeah, an olive oil company, yep. and and I love how the founder, you know, really tries to educate the consumer. I'm like, this is why it's priced this way. We pay fair across the supply chain. That's not exactly. been done by any of the, and so really, it's there's so many different things that come when it comes to pricing, and you're talking about brands that you can't put them in the same level as like 
you know, like, uh, you know, what midsize or even like, you know, they're just like Sabra. Small. You can't put yeah. like the small hummus company in the, in the line with Sabra. Right? Yeah. And and I think this is such a hard market itself. It's cost. It's, you know, capital intensive. Yeah. And I I understand. I, I you know, I, I make memes about it and like on the price and stuff like there's a meme that I made that I was actually talking to the Andrew, the founder of Grasa about because oh, yeah. he was like a little uh, like a little upset that I but I was just like, it's all in good fun. It was a meme. the show. Andrew, yeah, <laughs> it was on the. It was a meme that it's like, sorry, I, I, I couldn't make it. I was too busy, and it's like a picture of the Kirkland olive. I was too busy fill, uh, putting this into this, and it's like the Grasa <laughs> bottle. <laughs> but you know, like I, I, and I feel like it, it, it all really depends, right? Like I also like to say we're at a. Uh, like a brands, even the big legacy ones have picked up on that trend of Trojan horsing with aesthetics is yeah. like what I like to call. And you're starting to see a lot of legacy brands go under the knife. Oh my God, you look know, at Chobani. Look at that yeah. brand, the way they, they've morphed over the past like five years. I mean, look at Fanta, the latest thing oh, that yeah. they got. Like it literally, like they're trying to really appeal to that. Like people love the aesthetic of a can, but yeah. You have to really talk, funny. the new Pepsi is like trash. Like the new Pepsi branding, I, I hate it so much. <laughs> it was so bad. They could, they could have done, they could have just brought the 80s Pepsi It's bottle. so dope. Like that Cindy Crawford Diet Pepsi yeah, can. Yeah, right? Like it's that. Yeah. People make a lot of money, you know, making these choices. It's very interesting. But yeah, I think if you walk into Papa Grocer or Foxtrot, you're going to see an aesthetic that will eventually land in Albertsons and like... It's already happening. I mean, look at cereal. That's changing. Magic Spoon is in Walmart. I love... So I shop at Walmart um, for a lot of reasons. Uh, we don't need to get into the many reasons, but I know that they they treat their their baby brands well, and you get to see Magic Spoon. What's in, wrong with Walmart? It's become the no, the thank tr- you. It's become Great. the trendy grocer for the Gen Alpha generation. Thank They're you. obsessed with going to Walmart to get their Prime and their Feastables. Like I totally agree. Walmart like, is the new is the new pantry kiss. You heard it here. First. Oh my god, that's so <laughs> sick. That that's the poll quote, Clayton, our editor. No, I, I'm kidding, but like. I my I grew up. My father is a small business owner, and like Walmart was like crushing local business in the '90s and early 2000s, and it like it was ingrained in my head. But then like the past six months, I've started shopping at Walmart, and I'm seeing these brands that I know. And Ben Van Leeuwen's telling me like they pay better than Wal- uh, Whole Foods. You know, this is broadly speaking, of course, but like their the, their terms are better for these small founders because they have uh, thousands of, and they're like probably the biggest grocer. Like uh, yeah. in the U.S., they are so, the biggest grocery. Yeah, so you know, I get it because Whole Foods doesn't compare right now at any like anything like like Walmart. But I would say it's so funny even to to think of this whole and I I called it back in 2020, and I think it was last year that Walmart announced that they would be experimenting with smaller format stores. So like the the rejection of the one stop shop is just fascinating. How our generation is literally leading that movement of SaaS curation as a service in all aspects whether it's retail online discovery etc this is so i'm glad we tapped into walmart we could we should do a whole episode you and i on walmart (laughs) i love it now i have one more category to mention and i I really gotta get your take because there's been so much money that's flown into this category a couple of the companies are actually publicly traded now and we're talking about fake meat (laughs) this is a fucking dumpster fire of a category i hate the stuff I'm just like personally do not like any of those products. I think it's really bad, but that's just me. Sorry, I didn't mean to lead the witness. What do you think? No, no, no. Oh, no. Um, you can't lead me. I have. I, I am an independent thinker. I know you are. <laughs> um, so it's so funny because I, I made this um, issue 
back in 2020 was called Brave New Alt World, where I talked about the, you know, influx of the alts everything. And I remember I mentioned this company, Val, that was doing fake exotic meats. And lo and behold, in 2023, they're making a woolly mammoth meatball. And... And I've written about, like, you know, what happened with Beyond was Wall Street meets eco-greenwashing. And let's be real. Like, do you really think that buying a Amazon plant-based patty is doing anything for the world? I think that there's a lot of, of hypocrisy in, in saying, like, oh, yeah, uh, shame on you for eating meat. Like, how can I go and tell, like, an indigenous community, a small, impoverished, you know, town in my country, for example, and go tell them, like, you know, don't use cattle. That's really bad for the environment and kind of punt the responsibility on them that have zero impact and tell them to buy this, you know, American, the profits only go to American corporation because, you know, Wall Street beyond whatever is San Francisco based or whatever mm -hmm. it is. How do I go in and do that? And I was actually talking to a founder from Brazil that does Fazenda Futuro, which is Brazil's alternative that actually came out of the, the diff like the uh, defense mode mm. of when Beyond was trying to get into into Brazil. And it was really interesting to have a chat with him about that because, you know, uh, they really took it personally to see like this American company coming in and kind of instilling Mansplaining their... like how to eat meat and like the, all the all the greenwashing. Oh, my God. My my worst, like my, my most triggering thing is when these media outlets like Bloomberg and all these things will be like, uh, this uh, company is disrupting alt protein in Asia. And the company is like based in San Francisco. Francisco and I'm like oh my god like did you know Asia has always had you know non a long like, bean curd history of like, thousands of years yeah like yeah so like to me it's just like it's the whitewashing it's the 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 capitalism greenwashing that 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 happens with this narrative and sort of like uh in a weird way like why aren't we really talking about what the root of the problem is? We literally made almond milk unsustainable. I thought that was supposed to be like the yeah. savior of big dairy. Um, and it's really interesting because you're starting to see people talk about regenerative agriculture as a solution. And I'm like, nobody is really giving the attention to we need to first remove our indoctrination into mass consumption because it doesn't matter what you put out there. We're going to mass consume it to the point that we make that then like negative yeah, impact, make an right? Yeah, incredible uh, impact, like like footprint, carbon yeah. footprint of yeah. these categories. I yeah. find it disgusting to know that there's hundreds and thousands of plant-based alternatives. I honestly will tell people like, oh, you really think eating at Burger King that pays like shit or like this tradition like all these like fast food whatever do you think that that's you know cruelty free that bad patty that you're <laughs> getting that people are literally like working so many hours whatever like I just feel like I, I, I and I I tend to like make uh sometimes people upset with what I say, like with like the my positioning on like alts, right? Like yeah. some people are like, oh, but animals. And I'm like, look, there's some people that really are like in their way in one with the earth and respectful, whatever. Like who am I to go and, and shove my idealistic or my capitalistic views, whatever, 
onto people who have and and I tell people the 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 carbon footprint was an advertising thing that was invented by I think it was PNG mm-hmm. back in 2000s I think it was Ogilvy the mm-hmm. the advertising yeah. company that did it Yeah it's been to, it's definitely been like, like it signifies like definitely like a market it's a marketing principle It's no it's it's literally something that was invented yeah. by this agency to punt the responsibility yeah. into the consumer so that we forget who the true the true people doing the impact are and we we be, we take the responsibility on ourselves right yeah. which is my impact is not going to be the same as these big corporations so to me i think i'm happy consolidation is happening i'm happy the bubbles bursting i'm happy that at least this time we can have a conversation of are we going to keep repeating the same fucking mistake as every other alternative that we try which is like we 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 put profit we put we you push know, it to the limit we push we- it to the limit. Absolutely do. And we push it to the limit for profits and the top of the cap table benefits. And then our culture like runs out. We run out of almonds. <laughs> hey, that's cool. Now, I want to pivot. You mentioned Burger King. And I have to ask, are you coming for fast food? Are you coming for QSR? Because I feel like Snackshot does not cover the restaurant industry at all. Or, or even maybe you cover it, but it's not your focus. But there's like a whole universe of QSR and fast food that you could be looking at the way you look at things so critically. Yeah, I try to focus on like CPG. Yeah. So like, you know, just I do whenever like there's technology like and I got I love the sweet green founders are the best. But honestly, like them saying that they were a tech company like was (laughs) like come on and now they're doing like drive-thrus like you know yeah. your regular mcdonald's or whatever they're, they're backing out of that one yeah a little bit. Yeah. yeah but depending like i like to when there's things to bring attention like you know the that you know some have unfair pay or whatever yeah. i like to make note of that but my focus is really on on packaged goods but a lot of speaking of that a lot of fast food is actually getting into cbg like you now have wendy's coming out with a frosty cereal partnering with like these other conglomerates and and getting into that space so like sanzo is at all or many of the um panda express in our country yeah yeah yeah. but 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 i I, but and now you're starting to see i actually did do a deep dive about this in restaurants retail we are starting to see a lot of not just uh the fast casual but also the fast food get into it so yeah in a way i do write about it. i think you do and i I didn't mean to undersell your coverage but i think you focus mostly on cbg yeah and that there's this beautiful world of restaurants that we cover a lot here in taste that I think we could restaurant again I'm not a food critic I'm you know my palate is my palate (laughs) no I mean yeah but you cover industries and you you look at direction and you look at like founders yeah I like to think of like for restaurants right now my 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 most thing that I'm excited about is things like blackbird um things like front of house and like how you know digital collectibles are becoming the new reservation or the new loyalty program like those are the kinds of angles that I like to to think of, like when I'm digging into a specific space. Okay, we asked all guests in taste podcast if you grade a cookbook or food culture book without the burden of time, meaning you have no deadline, or the burden of budget, meaning you have all the money in the world. Yeah. Million dollar question, hopefully for you. <laughs> yeah. What book are you? What are you thinking about? Well, I have gotten approached already. I bet. Um, and I have thought about it and I have actually made a whole like proposal of it. So, and this is something again from my expertise, like what, like my knowledge from the lens of marketing, PR, how, you know, 
millennials. So like the book title, what I envision it being like Gen Snack, S-N-A-X, and talks about like how millennials, you know, get the redemption of, of snacks, the history of how we got indoctrinated into things like Lunchables stemming from deregulation of children's advertising in the mid 80s mm-hmm. and like how it literally prompted us into being these like over consumers and then our journey into the better for you chasm. God, this is my life. It's like my life is flashing before my eyes. <laughs> goofification of, you know, the, the better for you movement, the goofification of snacks. And then this like pendulum swinging back that's kind of like led by Gen Z and then getting into into Gen Alpha. So kind of like going through like the three generations and like where is this coming from? What's the role of advertising, you know, in this like whole movement and then the pushback of the movement? Um, and like, why is it that, you know, it's a um, kind of like a three three decade loop? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Can we talk about Snackwell's green and Morningstar Farms green. They're both like in my brain, that green. <laughs> like what type? I like, don't I don't know. Like, I am thinking that green is always going to be triggering for me. <laughs> uh, it, it's it's these words. And I and I like to say, like, it's like organic. Right. It's become devoid of meaning. Yeah. I feel like there's so many things that people it's it, marketing ruins things, to be honest. And I, and I say this as a former marketer, like uh, I remember sitting in advertising classes when I was in college. And I'm like, oh, my God, is this my villain origin story? Like, it feels like we're being taught to like manipulate people here (laughs) um but yeah like i think that there's it's one of the things i like to kind of taunt too as like someone who used to work in marketing like oh my god you're reformed you're like you're like (laughs) yeah you've been through therapy yeah Yeah. (laughs) i love it andrea hernandez thank you so much for joining the taste podcast it's such a pleasure thank you so much for having me and i hope to come back sometime soon (laughs) we'll do that walmart episode if you will okay So, Liza, we just heard from Andrea Hernandez, and I love Snackshot. Have you read read it? I've been subscribed for years, yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's it's really great, and I'm, I hope you learned a lot about what's happening in CPG and what's happening in food. And I wanted to take the time to kind of catch up with you about some of the brands that you're interested in, and I'll, I'll share a few of mine, too. Yeah, I would love that. There's so many good ones. Yeah, exactly. And I mine uh, mine came from Pop Up Grocer. I, I went there a couple of weeks ago. They just opened in Soho, and uh, I love the I love what they're doing. Emily's been on the podcast, and so I picked up a bunch of things. And these are some of the highlights from my my visit to Pop Up Grocer. But you can certainly find all of my products online, and also in many stores. Whole Foods is a, is great. I also think um, Walmart, as Andre and I discuss, is uh, a great place for baby brands. You can pick it up there. I love it. Let's get into it. Yeah. What's your first? My first one is a Malaysian curry paste brand called Mama Lambs that's being made here in Queens. Have you had that before? I've, I've not, but I've definitely seen the presence and seen the editorial from it. It's super great. I'm someone that really likes using curry paste uh, in especially like weeknight cooking to make just something fast and really delicious. And I had not cooked with Malaysian curry paste before, which just has so many good things going on in it. I'm going to read you just some of the ingredients, which sound delicious on their own to me. Coconut milk. So it already has that natural richness. And then it has a curry powder that has chili, coriander, cumin, fennel, cinnamon, turmeric, curry leaves, some rice that's been blitzed down as a thickener. And then also shrimp paste. Yeah. 
shallots, garlic, sugar, salt. Not in that order. Now, like, backing up, it feels like this is something that would be very difficult to execute in your own home kitchen. A lot of ingredients, a lot of labor here to put in to make your own curry paste. Yeah, you know, I made my own curry paste as an early pandemic activity, and now I'm not at that stage in my life. So (laughs) I I really like this one. They also make a jarred Malaysian hot oil, is what they call it, that is truly the spiciest thing per volume I've ever encountered in my life. And that's a good thing for you. You love spice. It is a good thing, but I've come to the point of a little bit of fear with it because I just wasn't (laughs) tasting it and just adding it to things. And it is really potent. And now it's almost like a fun activity when people come over is that we'll be (laughs) eating something and I'll just put it out on the table and I'll say, just do one just try it. One, one drop. One drop for real. Is the ch- uh, curry paste, is it frozen? Is it shelf stable? What, how do you get it? It's shelf stable and then, you know, I keep it in the fridge after, after I've opened it. it. And they have a couple different heat levels. I like the medium heat level because I do like heat and it naturally has some. Nice. But then I have the hot oil. So really yeah, yeah, all yeah. bets are off. Love that. Yeah. What's one of yours? So I have come for big hummus like big time. Like I am like... You know, sorry, Sabra, probably not going to be sponsored the Taste Podcast anytime soon because uh, it's not really hummus. I, I have a big problem with like shell, like hummus that arrives in the grocery store, either CVS or wherever. I just think there's a lot of stabilizers and citric acid that really skews it towards like very lemony and artificial tasting. And of course, if you go to like visit the Middle East or, or even um, parts of Europe, you're going to get a very different hummus with great Trina and a very like chickpeas that really pop. Now... All of that, let's throw that away. I found a U.S. product that I actually like that is super good. Okay, I have one too. I'm wondering if it's the same Okay, um, I'll give you a hint. This is based around a restaurant in Washington, D.C., and it is – so it's not their primary business, but they have started to grow out of this restaurant, and they are now available in Erwan, in Foxtrot, and at Pop-Up Grocer. Do you want to know what it is? Yeah, please tell me. It is called Little Sesame Hummus. Yes, that was on my list, that's too. That's the one? That's yeah. the guy? Is it on your list right now? I mean, I, c- I can talk about more, but I <laughs> also had it recently and really liked it. Yeah, it's it's a no-joke winner right now. And, and what I like about them is uh, they're kind of like s- traceability. They're doing something interesting. They actually grow the chickpeas out in Montana on a 5,000-acre farm. Not easy to do that. I think they're definitely thinking about sourcing. I could not find where the tahini comes from, They've, mm. which is very interesting because that's a big part of hummus. Where does the tahini come from? Did you Have you tried the different flavors? They have a couple. I went with the original first and I loved it. So you love this product. This is cool. Yeah, I've tried it. I they have So they have the classic. They have one that has um, cherry tomatoes that have been kind of mm. blistered, cooked down on top, and one that has jalapeno, kind of like a jug, almost herby topping. I like all of the ones with the topping, but I think for me, I really like to use hummus. I'm really into dip as a meal in the warmer sure. months, right? And I'd for like sure. to have a plain kind of base hummus, and then I can add my charred asparagus or mm-hmm. tomatoes or whatever on top yeah, of that you and can go out. It up and also add like a nice olive oil to it as well, or maybe za'atar. So flaky salt. Yeah. Flaky salt dope. Where did you buy yours? Um, I think I got it online. Yeah, so they do that. So it's I'm glad you brought that up because you can order it online or you can pick it up at those few shops. But I think it's an online product only pretty mm-hmm. much. It's like limited shops. What's your next one? My next one is this brand Pika Pika that my friend Gino Cha does. That is a Filipino heritage pantry brand. Mm. And right now I'm really into this calamansi marmalade that they have. I eat it. Stirred into Greek yogurt for breakfast. That sounds 
unreal. It's really good. It's a very oh. like, drizzleable consistency. Yeah. I don't know if that's a word. I but... love drizzleable as a word. I think it really evokes what I want on top of yogurt. I don't want chunks of preserve in my yogurt. I want drizzleable. Let's call, maybe put that on a hat, drizzleable. 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 Yeah. And also um, something that's cool about it is because it's that kind of uniform consistency. I haven't done this yet, but I've heard that you can make cocktails with jam in them. Definitely. Especially with a shaker. And I think that especially as it gets warmer out, I'm going to be doing some like calamansi marmalade cocktails with it. That sounds great. There, I recall there being cocktails based around marmalade too. Yeah. Yeah. I, nice. I interviewed um, another great brand is Trade Street Jam mm-hmm. uh, that this yeah. is what Ashley Rouse does. And a couple of years ago when I interviewed her, she told me that she was on the jam cocktail grind. So It's good. It's, it's great for summer. Digging it. Yeah. What's your next one? Uh, next one is, okay, I'm not like the biggest like brownie bar cookie fan. Mm-hmm. I, I really... Find I like going with like original. I like, like regular cookies, not the bar form of cookies. But I sample Lexington Bakes chocolate chip number five. Are you familiar with Lexington Bakes? No, but also it sounds like a perfume name, so I'm just universally <laughs> intrigued. It really is interesting branding, and I tried to do some research. So this this bar is done by a Los Angeles based chef and I believe influencer named Lex Evan. Uh, these are sold at Erwan, Foxtrot, Pop-Up, and online. Um, actually, it seems like from my notes, Little Sesame Hummus might be available at other places. I might have missed that note. So backing up, Little Sesame available wherever you maybe want to buy hummus. So FYI. Anyways, back to Lexington Bates. I thought this was the most delicious $12 bar. <laughs> Was it, it was it actually $12? It was like something like that, maybe 10 I mean, it was amazing. It was amazing. And so they serve it, they sell it cold, and you can either, you get the choice of baking it or warming it or eating it, like just going straight raw with it, which I think is actually the way I prefer it because I love cookie dough that's been warmed slightly on the countertop. Ooh. I know you're not a fan. No, I'm super into this. Oh, okay. I don't know because like I feel like cookie dough is not great for some people. Oh, I mean, I am a fan. I definitely... We'll make cookies and spend a lot of time scraping the bowl and eating it. Good. Okay. Okay. We're on the same page. Now, I just think that a luxury bar is not something that I really want in my life, like on the surface. But when you actually have it in your mouth, it's like amazing. It's like one of my favorite things. Yeah, I think that's true. And, you know, even in a city like New York where there's food on every corner, I've found myself as it's been getting warmer, just been running around all day and feeling like, you know, I'm eating in a couple hours. I don't want to go get something huge, like actually needing a bar. So I'm interested in this. I love it. Um, What's your last one? My last one is a drink. It is called Talk House Encore. And it is made by this um, bar called the Talk House that's in Hamptons. Hamptons. Yeah. Have you been there before? I've not been there, but I met the founder. Do you know about their drinks now? No. I, I mean, I know all about, she told me, that, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting your name, but you, I met her at an event and she told me all these cool things. Tell me about it. So it's a family owned live music venue bar out in the Hamptons, but I haven't been, but to my knowledge, I think it's more of like a locals vibe and not super yeah. bougie Hamptons vibe and yeah. they're a family owned bar and they recently started selling canned cocktails that are kind of like the cocktails they do at the bar. So they have tequila soda with grapefruit yeah. or blood orange. They have a vodka soda with cranberry or lime. So it's not a spiked seltzer. It's an actual canned cocktail, tall boys. Yeah. Oh, they're tall. They're big boys. Big boys. Wow. Super good. Um, they taste exactly like you would you expect a tequila soda at a bar to taste, yeah. which to me is a huge victory. Yeah. Um, and I like that they have this connection kind of like what we're saying about Little Sesame and that they're pegged to a restaurant that's been doing this thing for a while. I like that it feels 
like a natural extension of something. It's cool when there's a little bit of a story behind it. It's not just like a slide deck and like some VC founder or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, you know, as I think I've talked about on the show before, when I interviewed uh, this woman, Anna Yu, who's the director of uh, bringing in new brands at Erewhon, we were talking about how there's so many new beverage brands these days because it's one of the easiest things that you can hire out to a co-packer. And I think that it's really easy to see a lot of beverage brands that are just doing it because they think they can have a beautiful packaging and sell um, in cold cases, which they probably can. But I like that there's kind of a second layer to it here. And it, it really does um, set it apart. And Andre and I talk about it earlier in this episode is we talk about how the beverage category, the ready to drink category is like one of the most saturated and most some one of the most difficult to actually succeed. So the fact that one of these is a beverage and it's talk house from the Hamptons or is it like North Fork is like, do you know? Amagansett. Oh, it's Amagansett. So I think that it's cool. It's like a Joe Joe pub kind of vibe it has it's like a locals only kind of venue yeah i definitely think this summer when i'm going to the beach and i'm stocking my cooler that's going to be something that's in it talk house beach house we love it's great talk house encore talk house encore i like you do call it encore it makes sense music yep all that do you have another one i have a last one and and i you know canned food is not really something that is like celebrate it, right? The canned food aisle. Well, the tinned fish movement for sure. But beyond that, maybe not. That's more the tinned. Yeah, the, tin, the tin, when you say put tin in front of it. You know, no, Where I, does tin end and canned begin? I don't know, though? maybe like an ocean between us. It's like, you know, England calls everything tinned and we call it canned. Yeah, if you studied abroad, you say tin. Yeah, you did that summer in London or that semester in Edinburgh. You call it everything tinned all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. I love that. Now, I actually, um, I do like using cans. Obviously, we use them all the time, you know, send... Marzano tomatoes. We use canned. Um, I mean, it could be any like canned peppers. I've used coconut lots. milk. Coconut milk, of course. The cans are are, are essential, but um, rarely do you see a brand that actually pops on the shelf. And Haiti Canning really drew me in with their branding. And, and you know, I had to just shout out from the jump. Their Charleston, South Carolina-based agency outlined did did their brand. They also did the Amson branding. So you can see there's like a real thread. And I think I've talked to the Amson founders about their branding. It was a big part of what they were doing. But um, I opened the can because I bought it. And I was like, this can is cool. Absolutely delicious. And to be clear, the shtick is that it's seasoned beans, right? I meant I did not mean to bury the lead. You hit, hit it right in the nose. So these are you're opening the can and you're putting it all into a bowl and you're eating it either like just there or you're heating it up. So some of the flavors include coconut curry chickpeas, harissa lemon chickpeas, enchilada black beans, and kimchi sesame navy beans. I have tried the harissa lemon chickpeas and oh my god, they're fucking good. Ooh, what did you do with them? Or you just ate them? I put them in a pan. I put on low flame and I served it with like a, something I was cooking a protein and some vegetables. It was perfect. Now, like preseason things is challenging for me sometimes because it just doesn't taste very good. It's either very gloopy and overly seasoned or it doesn't have um, it doesn't have the flavor profile that I'm thinking I'm gonna get when I'm cooking it. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I really liked this, and I'm going to try the kimchi sesame navy beans soon. And I just have to say, you know, I, it's a small company, uh, and everyone should check out Heyday. I, I just like, I you know, no money has changed hands, obviously. Just like like this company. I want them to succeed. Oh, yeah. Also, our friend Ali Slagle consults for them. I was about to say she's done recipes for them before, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, definitely. She's she's on the you know on the team uh, on the small team, and I love Ali, and she's one of the sharpest minds in food, and I'm sure she gets offered a lot of opportunities, and she went with Heyday, like the name, like the branding, the can is the can is real, the can is back. 
Yeah. <laughs> no, I, it's not. I've been seeing the, I've been seeing this on social media and a couple of outlets, but I haven't tried it myself still. But I think especially in a situation if I was going upstate for the weekend, mm -hmm. somewhere where I didn't know where like the, the contents of the pantry would be and I wanted to have something that I knew would taste good and be like the anchor of a meal, I would definitely be doing it in that situation. It's, it's a good point. When you're on the road, I think sometimes you have that in-between small plate that you need. Like you've got like your protein, you've got your like farmer's market produce and you need something like a legume or some kind of starch, they call it sometimes. And like opening up a can of, of heyday, heating it up, Matching the flavor profiles, it may be like the coconut curry if you're going in that direction or enchilada black beans if you're doing um, more Mexican cooking or Southwest American cooking. Dope, right? Yeah. And, you know, to be clear, we have not been sponsored by any of these brands. But if people yeah. wanted to send me things, they, you know, exactly. I'm available. <laughs> Same with me. Yeah, hit me up on Instagram. I'll, I'll give you my address and please send me stuff that doesn't poison me and kill me. I appreciate that. Yeah, ship it. Do you ever think about that? Like I've over the years as a food writer, we're blessed with wonderful people mailing us beautiful things. Um, shouts to the guys at Levon just sent me some cookies. Like that was nice. Now, but I usually like eat it like straight up. Like I don't ever question it. This is like random people sending me random food from the internet. Mm. Do you ever think about that? Yeah, you know, these days I'm a freelancer. I work at home. Most people don't know my address, which is good. Yeah. Um, but when I was in the office at Condé Nast, yeah, it would be like a delivery from Bread's Bakery or something else would just appear and we would just put it on the table and everyone would <laughs> eat it. And if somebody did That's have right. a grudge, it would have been. <laughs> Maybe people will get ideas about poisoning other food writers now, but I don't think people. No. You know, it's funny because, uh, you know, Cake Scene, the magazine that I do, in the last issue, which was Wicked Cake, there was a whole piece about the of uh, cake as a murder weapon in like the late 1800s and all these people that were mailing poisoned cakes to people. And at that point in time, the U.S. mail system, like wouldn't, uh, they separated packages and letters. So it was very common to receive a package without a note. So all of these people were just eating these cakes in the mail because <laughs> they assumed it came from somebody that loved them, but really they all had arsenic in them. This was a movement of like just death by cake. It was such a movement that they, uh, the U.S. Post Office appointed somebody to to be in charge of the situation, and eventually they ended up pairing letters and packages together. I think not only because of this, but it was a contributing factor. HBO limited series, like from the point of view of, of, of the, the person on the hunt to find the cake killer. Yeah, I think we called it You've Got Murder Mail. It's really good. You guys are cake zine shouts. Now, um, I have to say also, you know, we definitely take sponsorship if you want to sponsor one of our events. We have a lot of cool things we're planning for the spring, summer, and fall. And if you are a founder and you want to help us like do one of these cool events, shout us out. Yeah, we promise we won't spike your stuff with our No, we won't. Oh, I have on my notes, this is funny, to close. Um, have you tried the new Coke Move or Coke Dream World? I don't even know what these are. Please tell me. Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding me? They're the new limited Coke drops. They're awesome. Are they new flavors? Yes. But there's only one flavor. It's no, Coke. No, 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 if you, no. If you take a road trip and you head to like a 7-Eleven. Oh, I mean, to me, I know that there's cherry Coke and vanilla Coke and, no. and whatever. These but. are limited editions. So Dreamworld, I'm not sure if it was tied to a celebrity. Um, I found it very mango forward. Um, this was dropped, I think, last fall. You can still find some cans and bottles in New York City area. I spotted it at a bodega just yesterday. Wait, is it Coke but with a hint of orange or it's just No, it's orange. called Dream World. It's like a totally new universe. Coke Dream World. David Cho and I have been texting about Dream World. I've been trying to get him a bottle. The other one is Coke Move, which is Rosalita's flavor. Rosalia? 
Oh, yeah. I said a T in there. That's so... Yeah, I, that's your little, like, nickname for her. <laughs> yeah, that's, like, the pet name for Rosalia. Like, yeah. What was Rosalita? That's this bad. Thank you for correcting me. Um, Rosalia has created a Coke that has a strong coconut undertone. And what it reminds me of is drinking Malibu and Coke as a 19-year-old and it being mostly Malibu. I'm cracking up right now because that is such a visceral reaction. And I don't even like, I couldn't, I could not, if you handed me a Malibu Coke, I could not drink it probably. But I do feel the urge to go find this now because I do, what I do like is in the summer, coconut just reminds me of um, tanning oil. And like, it just feels like such a summer flavor. It's totally that. that Even if I just want to like have a sip and just be present in that moment. I I definitely uh, will take a sip and then I will stop. Okay, we'll go halvesies. <laughs> I love the little cans. They come in those small cans. That's like the perfect little like 3 p.m. pick-me-up. A baby can. Rosalia's like new move. Move by Rosalia. It's going to be, it'll be new one. There'll be new ones dropping. Well, I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll mention it in our, our next segment. I like a Coke float also just while we're on the topic. Oh, yeah, Coke float. What about frozen cherry? Frozen Cokes? Do you ever oh, get those? Oh, like a, slush, a Slurpee? They call them Slurpees in like 7-Eleven land, but then they're like frozen Cokes in like other lands. Mm, at the movie theater in the summer. Dude. 90 degrees, air-conditioned inside. Cherry is the best. Giant Slurpee. So good. Man. I like. I love talking food products. This was very fun. Like, let's definitely come back and talk about more products because I think people are now going to send us things maybe poisoned and we'll have some stuff to report on. Yeah, I, I like this topic a lot. I feel like my favorite thing to do is to just go disassociate in the um, cold beverage aisle at Erewhon. <laughs> so I might yeah. as well put that to good use. I love it. Thanks a lot, Eliza. Thanks. The Taste Podcast is hosted by Eliza Abarbanel and me, Matt Rodbar. The show is produced by Shalia Harris and Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste Online at tastecooking.com. And make sure to subscribe to our newsletter for updates on all cool things that are happening.